if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us on AM 1420. The answer, Derek, why don't you push that button over there for me? I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Seven minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Tuesday, the 29th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord 2020. It's two things today. It's debate day and it's cursing out day. That makes it a great day. Finally going to be able to see President Trump across the stage, definitely more than six feet apart from his opponent, Joe Biden. Uh, but finally, we get to see them go face to face, and it will be very interesting to see if Joe Biden continues to tell the lies about President Trump that he tells to his friends on CNN and in the mainstream media and in blank commercials, if he'll tell those same lies about President Trump to his face. It will also be interesting to see. If President Trump will say to Joe Biden's face all of the things that he has said about him uh, in his campaign stops and other appearances about his mental acuity, about his uh, potential, uh, you know, uh, early onset dementia. I think a lot of the Trump supporters have said that's what it is. Uh, don't know. But it'll be very interesting to see if the president brings that up. He has said going in or leading up into the uh, debate that's going to be held here in Cleveland tonight on the campus of Cleveland Clinic in consultation and collaboration, if you will, with University Hospital, or excuse me, with a case uh, Western Reserve University. So uh, the, uh, the president has said, I think there ought to be a drug test. He said because he has seen Joe Biden look like he doesn't know his last name at some points during this campaign cycle and other uh, times he seems like he's on point and sharper. He wants to know if he's taking anything to boost his mental acuity or ability to focus. Wonder if he's taking any of those pills that um, students take, dangerously, might I add, something I would never condone, but some students take in order to help them focus and lock in and study during exam week. week. We've heard that, right? You've probably heard of that anyway. It's the medication that students or people with ADHD or ADD, you know, take to literally stop them from their minds from being all over the place to help them focus. People who don't have that problem take them, uh, those, those, uh, drugs to laser like focus in on what they're doing. Now, I'm not saying there's any credibility to it at all. Not at all. I have no earthly idea whether or not Joe Biden is engaged in anything like that. But what I'm asking is, is will Donald Trump bring it up on the stage tonight? Because he has brought it up leading into tonight's first debate. 
And the debate is going to be the first topic of discussion for us. By the way, great program coming up in a half an hour. Uh, Peter Navarro is going to be joining us. Peter Navarro, of course, is the White House trade advisor. And we're going to talk to him about the debate tonight and about how President Trump's record when it comes to reducing our deficits in trading with foreign uh, 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 countries like China in particular, but others as well. Um, you know, how the president is going to spotlight that and whether or not he will spotlight that in the debate tonight. That's not on the list of topics planned by Chris Wallace, at least according to what was released uh, a couple of days ago. Chris Wallace kind of laid it out. They're going to talk about Trump and Biden records. I guess that's where you would squeeze it in if you wanted to about trading with China. Uh, The Supreme Court, the coronavirus economy. And that's another one, I guess. That's leaves. It depends on what Chris Wallace asks. It's kind of open ended there. Race and violence in America, obviously, and the integrity of the election and whether or not it can be considered valid uh, based on all of the challenges that are coming for it. So the president's going to have an opportunity to talk about all those things. And we're going to talk to Peter Navarro about it at 935. So about a half an hour from now, a little bit less than Peter Kirsten now at 1010 on all of the above. So we're very much looking forward to that. I want to ask you this question. Very simple question for our part of, our part of the conversation today, yours and mine, and that includes now until uh, 9.30 uh, as, especially. If you could ask President Trump one question in the debate tonight, if you are Chris Wallace, what do you ask him? One, just one. Make it count. And on the flip, if you could ask Joe Biden one question that he had to answer and couldn't dodge and, and, and dance around. He has to answer the question. What one question would you ask Joe Biden? I want you to think about it. I want you to dial, and I'll put you on the air, 216-901-0945 with your answer to that question. What would you ask Biden? What would you ask Trump if you could only ask one here in Cleveland tonight? And by the way, We will have special debate coverage right here on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll carry the debate live, and uh, Hugh Hewitt will anchor the first hour or an hour, rather, of pre-debate coverage from 8 o'clock until 9. Then, of course, the debate scheduled from 9 until 10.30, and then a post-debate segment as well. Uh, So Hugh Hewitt will be um, uh, directing that show tonight, and you can hear it, of course, on AM 1420, The Answer, as well as on our app, as well as on whkradio.com or anywhere else that you may listen to us on a streaming basis. Uh, but uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on that aspect of the debate tonight. What would you ask if you could ask a question, just one of either one of them? Certainly one of the biggest issues is going to be the Supreme Court nomination of Amy, Amy Coney Barrett, who is going to get a hearing starting on October 12th, we are told. I, well, I'll try to refrain from my criticism of that. I don't know why they're waiting so long. They ought to start it uh, you know, Thursday, in my opinion, day after tomorrow. Let's just get this thing rolling because we only have 30-some days until the election. But Amy Coney Barrett is being attacked like no female candidate for the court has ever been attacked. And you notice I have to put the qualifier in there and say female candidate because... I can't say like no other candidate because we saw what happened to Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh was leading and living an exemplary exemplary life as a judge, as a father, as a husband, as a family man. Suddenly he gets nominated to Trump's Supreme Court and he is accused to be of uh, being the ringleader of a gang rape series in uh, in college. A drunken frat boy who gang rapes women. 
uh, and and commits all kinds of vile, unbelievable acts 30-some years ago that nobody ever heard of before. I mean, it was one of the most ridiculous. This is a different kind of attack on Judge uh, Judge uh, um, Amy Coney Barrett because Amy Coney Barrett can't be accused of sexual assault or leading a rape ring. But what they can do is say she's too religious. She's too Christian. And oh, by the way, her adoption of two black children shows that she's also too racist. CBS News contributor, so-called professor under fire for actually suggesting that Judge Barrett, other white parents adopt black children to use as, quote, props. Wow. Now, the good news is conservatives, Republicans, the Trump White House are all standing strong. They are ready to do anything and everything to defend Judge Barrett from the endless lies and smears and slander and besmirchment and character assassination. All of which is coming, if it's much of which has already been started and all of which is going to ramp up for the next 13 days. That's the reason why, as I say, I don't know why they're waiting until October 12th to start this thing, giving the media and the, the DNC and the uh, congressional Democrats, and by the way, those are all repetitious. I apologize for the redundancy. They're all the same. But gives them more opportunities to slander Amy Coney Barrett. That part about the black children is the part that's just really galling. You know, at a time in America where the political left has decided that this country is systemically racist and that people who are white have privilege that black people could only wish to have. White America enjoys a privilege that black America or brown America does not enjoy, we're told. We're told it everywhere. We're told it in schools. We're told it in corporate training. We're told it in the military. We're told it in the government. We're told it by the media. That white people have a privilege black, black people could only dream of having. And then a successful, happy, healthy white family, the family of Judge Amy Coney Barrett, decides to adopt children because they love God's children. They have their own, but they're going to adopt children. And they choose to the Barretts, to adopt black children from terribly impoverished parts of the world. They choose to give these black children the opportunity to enjoy some of the privilege that comes perhaps with being and living with and being a part of a white family. A white family that's doing very well for itself. And rather than being celebrated for that, the left has decided because she's running for, not running for, but she has been appointed to the Supreme Court, that that's racist. The reality is the, 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 the Barrett family is just a bunch of white supremacists who needed a couple of props. So they put a couple of black kids in the Christmas card photo and said, gee, look at us. They don't really care about these black children. And if the black children are being fed and the black children are being ed- educated, and if the black children in the Barrett household are, are clothed and sheltered and being given opportunities that they would never have had in other countries, well, that's just part and parcel to the, to the fraud. The Barretts were really just using them as props, and they have to feed them while they have them, right? 
I want you to think about that for a moment. I also want you to ponder what a family with five children, the way the Barretts had, and decided to adopt two more children, if they adopted two white children, what would the left say today? They would say, huh, just a perfect example of white privilege. Look at this family of means. Look at this family that's got five kids of their own. They want to get two more white children to add to their privilege in their family. Two more white children to grow up in a better uh, a place than, uh, uh, than, than children of color will ever aspire to be. Do you know how many millions of black and brown children are orphaned right now around the world? who are living, barely surviving, and who are available for somebody to reach in and pluck them out of their terrible plight and to save them and throw them a lifeline and give them an opportunity at the American dream. But no, people like the white supremacists, otherwise known as the Barrett family, no, they don't want to sully their Christmas card with a black child in it. No, 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 no. They're going to make sure that they take care of their own. They took two white children because who cares about the black children? Who cares about the brown children? Now you tell me, what do you think the the American left, the mainstream media, the DNC, the congressional Democrats, all of them together would say about justice appointee Amy Coney Barrett if they had adopted white children? They would say every word of what I just said and then some. But because they did the other thing and they actually went and took two black children out of a terrible uh, plight that they were in and gave them opportunity in a loving family, now they're accused of being racist who just grabbed these black kids as props. It's unconscionable. But why should that surprise us? After After all, we are talking about Democrats. They live the unconscionable. That's why there is only one letter's difference between Democrat and Demon Rat. And that's why I call them that on social media. And if I could get it to roll more smoothly off of my tongue, I would call them that on a regular basis here. The Demon Rat Party will do anything and everything they can to destroy Amy Coney Barrett. And it has nothing to do with her little black kids or her little white kids. It doesn't even have anything to do with her Catholicism which is also under attack. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that she's a woman, which is also under attack. They oppose Amy Coney Barrett because they want to be able to kill children with impunity. And they're really afraid that this pro-life Catholic might be the vote that reverses Roe v. Wade. And we can't allow that. We've got children to kill. We're demon rats. And we'll do whatever we have to to stop anybody who wants to stop us from killing children at will from the first month to the ninth month. 921, this is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420 Dance.
Okay, 925, the Bob Brant's Authority. Let me just give you this real fast, uh, and then I'll get a couple of calls in here about those questions. The specifics of the Amy Coney Barrett adoptions that uh, are being attacked as being racist because she's using little black kids as props. Did I mention she plucked them out of a horrible situation and a terrible future? Um, yeah, I did, but you didn't know how terrible. Um, in 1999, uh, Amy Coney Barrett married uh, her fellow Notre Dame Law School graduate and professor, Jesse Barrett. Um, the two of them uh, have made just an incredible life and career for themselves. Jesse Barrett worked as an assistant U.S. attorney for the Nor- Northern District of Indiana for 13 years. Obviously, Judge Barrett has been on the Seventh Circuit. They have seven children, five of them their own, two of whom were adopted. From where, you ask? perhaps from from one of the most pathetically wretched places on earth, and I say that not to disparage, but to acknowledge the difficult existence of the people who live there, Haiti. They adopted one of these children in 2005. So mind you, that's 15 years ago. Then the second one, after the 2010 horrific Haiti earthquake. Children were dying. Many did. Some were thrown a lifeline and given an opportunity to survive, including the one adopted by the Barretts to make their family of five, now a family of six, and then a family of seven. By the way, just to throw this in there, too, about their true devotion to pro-life, according to U.S. District Judge Patrick Schultz, Schultz, rather, the Barretts' youngest biological child was diagnosed with Down syndrome during a prenatal screening. That is what makes a lot of parents uh, make the choice to abort their child because they don't want to have to raise a child with special needs like Down. Uh, The Barretts, of course, were not among those. Uh, The Barretts love all of their children equally, and they did. I mentioned the 15 years ago part for a reason about the first Haiti adoption. Those who are saying that Judge Barrett just adopted black children for props in order to perhaps help further her career. Yes, back 15 years ago when they adopted their first child from Haiti, she knew that someday she might be nominated to the Supreme Court of the United States. And she just needed a little diversity in the fam when the confirmation started. 15 years ago, she had she, they adopted the first one. And then 10 years ago, the second one after the 2010 Haiti earthquake. This woman is a paragon of virtue. And she is being savaged like she is some sort of I don't even know what, by the American left, because it's what demon rats do. John in Garfield Heights, you got a question for the debaters tonight here at uh, the campus of Cleveland Clinic. Go right ahead. John, what do you got? Well, good morning, Bob. I would ask the good Catholic, pro-abortion, rosary-toting Biden, does he think the Knights of Columbus are equivalent to the KKK, because that's what Kamala Harris thinks. That's a great question. That is it. You're right. She does. She has said that. She has compared Catholic organizations like the KFC to the KKK. You're a thousand percent right. And of course, we know what he would do. He would dodge that like he has any other difficult questions. Uh, what about the president? Do you have one for him? Uh, not really. Okay, that's no, okay. That's I just, I just wasn't sure on. if you had one for each or you just wanted to get one for Biden. Oh, I got you, my well, friend. Thank Biden you. I appreciate the phone I call. Re- uh, no, I, I understand. Thank you, John. Let me get TJ in Cleveland real quick. Hey, TJ, what's your question and for which guy? Yeah, real quick, Bob. Uh, you know, uh, 
was didn't Madonna adopt a black person uh, kid and the left just praised her? But the question I'd have for Biden and Trump: If we go to Medicare for all, what does that do to VA medical? Does that end it, and everybody has to go on me- Medicare? I'd like both of them to answer what they think would happen, because you know Biden's the ones that's pushing the socialized medicine. What happens yeah, to our veterans? Yeah, yeah well, not, not only Biden, but also Harris. Remember when they were all on the uh, on the debate stage, everybody agreed that they would uh, support Medicare for all, including Medicare for illegal aliens in this country. What would that do to the VA? That's a great question. TJ, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Look, don't expect Biden to answer any difficult questions, nor Harris. They have dodged them completely. Any tough questions that they have faced, they have said, no, I'm not going to answer that. And the reason why is if they tell the truth, they're going to scare away middle-of-the-road moderate voters. And if they don't tell the truth about their radical socialist plans, then their radical socialist voting base will be angered. So they have to keep everything quiet. Well, we don't know what we'd do. Just vote for us and trust us on the other side. That's their game plan? It's reality. White House Trade Advisor Peter Navarro will join us next. AM 1420, The Answer. Progressive Democrats. Please be aware, you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. 936. Now the Bob France Authority continuing on AM 1420. The answer. Appreciate you being with us. It was a dark day, said White House Chief Trade Advisor Peter Navarro yesterday. When General Motors shut down its Chevy Cruze plant in 2019, but the future now looks bright for Lordstown and the Mahoning Valley, manufacturing the Endurance EV pickup has been a team effort that began with President Trump's leadership and vision. That's right. They were in Lordstown yesterday in advance, of course, of being in Cleveland tonight for the first debate, celebrating uh, the uh, 2021 Endurance uh, rollout. Uh, This is going to be an amazing vehicle. I saw a story on this a few days ago. The 2021 Endurance is going to be the first all-electric commercial pickup truck uh, that does not sacrifice power, uh, horsepower, anything else. It's really an amazing thing, and it's all happening in Ohio, thanks to the president's leadership. And Peter Navarro stays with us here in Ohio now on AM 1420 The Answer. Peter, good morning. How are you, sir? Bob, my friend, uh, that was such a cool day yesterday to see that truck. It's, it's, it's really a sight to behold. And the thing that, that grabs your eye and grabbed President Trump's eye was the, was the wheels, right? The wheels are the engines, right? <laughs> the wheels are electric motors. It's the first truly four-wheel drive uh, <laughs> pickup truck in the world. And, and the story behind it, if I, if I can tell you this. Yeah, it, yeah. It goes back to that dark day. It was uh, November 2018 when, when GM made that just horrible decision to shut down Lordstown and stop making the cruise. And, and you know, the president, I mean, he worked so hard to, to bring back manufacturing, and particularly the auto industry. I mean, he was just like <laughs> livid. And it's like, so some days later, uh, I get a call, and he asked me to come over to the Oval, and, and CEO Mary Barra is sitting there from GM, uh, along with their general counsel, Craig Glidden, and <laughs> their seats were hot, let us say that. Um, but what came out of that day was something really extraordinary. We, we basically committed to a process where, uh, over the next year, we, we try to envision what would make Lordstown great again. And they we came up with what, what are two components so far. There's more to come. But one is inside the perimeter, uh, 
this uh, company, Lordstown Motors, is going to make that beautiful vehicle. And, and the way that worked was GM gave them the land, helped them with the equipment, helped them with the expertise. But we really, we really encouraged, let us say, GM to take an equity share in it and give them the kind of financial resources because they had the technology, they just didn't have the money. So that thing, they're already getting a bunch of orders. That's going to go. But then outside the perimeter, just, just literally right across the street, there's a $3 billion joint venture GM has with uh, a Korean state-of-the-art electric vehicle battery company. And the batteries are going to make there are going to be for uh, GM's entire fleet. And they're, you know, as you know, Bob, they're going all electric. It's, it's a big bet, but they're going all electric. So what we're going to see um, in Lordstown is, is more employees uh, then the day they shut that thing down, and it's going to be uh, kind of a high, <laughs> the Mahoney Valley, uh, the joke is it's going to be a high-voltage valley in the best sense of the word. Um, Rob Porton, the center, did a great job working with us, and we really, um, it, 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 it was a great day for Ohio yesterday, really no was. Qu- yeah, no question. Let me let me zoom out, though, for away from this for the bigger picture, if I could. Peter Navarro, White House Trade Advisor, with us. Uh, was in Lordstown yesterday talking about this Lordstown Motors uh, vehicle. Um, you know, Gavin Newsom, the governor of, of California, made waves last week when he announced that it will be illegal to manufacture and sell gasoline-powered engines, internal combustion engine vehicles, uh, in California by 2035. We are phasing all of them out. Everything is going to go electric. Um, now, we may celebrate the technology that you are talking about right now in Lordstown, and that's outstanding. Bigger picture, though, I guarantee you there's going to be a whole lot of people in the oil and national, or natural gas industries they are going to be very, very concerned about this uh, seeming turn away from fossil fuels. So is this an indication of things to come and uh, bringing Gavin Newsom's dream to reality? Well, uh, there, there's a couple of things to say here. The first thing I... I ever did, uh, yeah, I got my PhD at Harvard, and the first book I ever wrote back in the 80s was called The Dimming of America, and it predicted widespread electricity shortages by the year 2000, which is exactly what hit the state of California. Then. I don't know if you remember the whole Enron I do. scandal. I, I lived out there in 2000, and, 2001. So, yeah, we went through, I lived what, through the what, rolling blackouts what, back in the early part of this uh, century. Were you, you down south there or up in NoCal? No, north, northern, northern, no, Walnut Creek, outside oh, of San okay. Francisco, on the East Bay. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, anyway, I, I've memoed to Gavin, hey, uh, if you're going you're gonna to mandate electric vehicles, you might want to make sure we have some electricity. Um, and, you know, that's a real issue. And, and by the way, um, you, you don't just make that electricity with solar and wind. Uh, that's where the, the petroleum comes in. But, but. The, the bigger issue here, and it, it, I hope it comes up in the debate tonight, is you know Joe Biden's energy future versus Donald Trump's. Because um, I remember back in the '70s when we had the horrible um, oil embargo, the gas lines, and never in my wildest dreams would I dream that we would be the number one oil producer in the world and exporting oil. And that's what Donald Trump did. I mean, he brought strategic energy dominance to this country, and we got cheap energy, and that gives us all sorts of competitive advantages when it comes to manufacturing. And, uh, you know, Joe Biden, I, I don't know if he's going to be the president or whether it's going to be kind of a, a committee 
of the squad and and Kamala and all that. But those folks, they want to turn turn the tap off um, in in Texas and and the Dakotas and the Frackers of Pennsylvania and Ohio yep. and uh, you know that, that's. That's a choice. You're all about the Green New Deal. Kamala, Kamala has that, said she's that, all in on the choice. Green New Deal. That that is a, that is a choice that, that that people have, and there's big choices here. You know, on the China trade issue, um, clearly Joe Biden voted for for China into the World Trade Organization and NAFTA. I mean, in terms of Ohio, you can't think of two worse decisions and blows to the state of Ohio than NAFTA and China in the WTO. So there there's a contrast there on China and trade between Biden and Donald J. Trump. Uh, there's one on, on, on energy, certainly. Uh, there's a clear difference on taxes. Uh, you know, Joe Biden wants to, you know, $4 trillion of additional taxes, and he, he claims that's not going to hurt the middle class, but the math doesn't work there. So you raise really good issues, Bob, and I, I, it's like it must be so cool uh, being in the city where they're going to have the debate tonight. Um, too bad there's no spin room, though. Um, yeah, well, but, you know, it's cool. It's cool, and it's not because uh, I don't know if you know this, uh, Peter Navarro, but uh, the National Guard is already on the scene. They are preparing for any of the nut jobs to come in from out of town and do what they've been doing in so many other cities and causing problems uh, and protesting President Trump. Now, I say protesting President Trump and not the debate because of the reality of the situation. Trump supporters are not burning things down in opposition to Joe Biden or opposition to other leftist causes. It is always the leftist radical organizations causing the violence. So, uh, you know, I don't think Trump supporters are going to be any threat to anybody downtown tonight, but I am worried about Antifa. I'm worried about others that are uh, uh, like-minded, you know, basically Biden voters. Let me, let me tell you something about that. You know, I, I, uh, I'm here in D.C., and this place, Democratic mayor, it's, uh, it's a ghost town. Uh, it's, it's, it's a burnout shell. Um, you've still got all sorts of uh, plywood uh, on, on shops. And, and when, I, when, when things were bad and I'm, I'm traveling back and forth to the White House and things like that, I mean, these people—they—they are armed and dangerous, and they are coordinated. Yeah. It's kind of an oxymoron. You have like like organized anarchists, but the people of Ohio need to take these Antifa BLM people very, very seriously because they're basically paramilitary operations that are meant to agitate and disrupt. There's there's no protest anymore. These these are not. Let's let's be clear about what's going on here. These these are what's going on in the streets is not protest. It's burning, looting, arson and agitation. And um, yeah. And it's Again, and it's organized, you as you here. said. It's also funded. That part is important. It's funded, and I know there are some calls for the FBI to investigate the funding of these organizations because all of the, the 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 equipment and the supplies that they are using to carry out these attacks in all of these different cities they're not free. They're not stealing all of these things. They're funded. They're traveling from city to city, and I would like to know by whom. I certainly would too, and I, I'm telling you, I, the people of, of Portland and Seattle uh, might put up with this. They might even encourage it, but I can't imagine this is going to play well in the great state of Ohio. This is not what this country needs right now. We have been attacked by the Chinese Communist Party with a deadly virus that has killed over 200,000 Americans, put tens of millions of people on the unemployment line, and costing us 
trillions of dollars. And you got you got anarchists in the streets right now basically burning businesses down at a time when we need to be building this economy back up. And to what end? I mean, that's the kind of question you have to ask Biden. I mean, what what's going on, Joe? These are your people, okay? Those are your people. When, the, when President Trump has been called in by places like in Kenosha to stop that stuff, it stops in a matter of hours. But you don't hear the Biden and Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders. They're... they're they're not saying anything about that. So I hope I hope Cleveland is safe tonight. Well, they, you know, uh, and, Peter, they can't say anything. If they say anything to condemn it, they lose their radical left voters. If they say anything in support of it, they lose moderate voters. In the same way that Biden won't announce his Supreme Court choices if he got to make the pick. In the same way that Kamala Harris yesterday would not answer uh, the a question from uh, uh, from uh, Lawrence O'Donnell as to whether or not uh, she and Joe Biden would support packing the Supreme Court if Amy Barrett goes through. Because if they say yes, they lose all of the moderate voters. If they say no, they tick off their radical left socialist voters. So they sit there and say nothing and just say, eh, just vote for us and trust us when we get into office, we'll do the right things. This election is going to come down to, in my judgment, China jobs and law and order. Those, those are the three big issues I think people are going to vote on. In and that order? It, it's very clear. I think so, I, particularly in Ohio. I mean, the people of Ohio understand what happened when after Biden let China into the WTO, it was carnage. Uh, I did. I, I don't know if you know about this, but I, I did. Uh, wrote a book called Death by China, and had a movie um, based on it. It's on YouTube. It was on Netflix. But I say this only because um, there's a great scene in the movie where I have one of your congressmen talking about how China basically came into Ohio factories, bought up, bought up all of the machinery and put it in crates and shipped it back to Shanghai. That was what's going on. And you know, Bob, what, what they left behind? They left behind the friggin' fentanyl and opioids to kill Americans. And that that's what annoys me the most. It's, I call them the seven deadly sins. You know, they hack our computers every friggin' day. They steal our intellectual property. They force technology transfer. They dump products into our markets. They have their state-owned enterprises to steal from the rest of the world, they manipulate their currency. They dump a, they dump fentanyl right into the great state of Ohio. So, and you know, look, we know what Joe Biden's been doing in China, right? He's been basically laying down for them, and he had his son, and I think that's going to come up tonight. I think it's fair game. I mean, why do you take your son to China on Air Force Two to close a billion dollar deal on a hedge fund, and then the kid comes back, Hunter Biden comes back? and uses that money to buy up a company in Michigan and sell it to the Chinese military. I mean, that stuff, you can't make that stuff up, Bob. And can you imagine the size of the federal probe that would have been ordered already if this had been Donald Trump Jr. or Eric Trump accompanying Donald Trump in an identical circumstance? Can you imagine how quickly the feds would be all over this? And you're right. They have done nothing because uh, there is no such thing as an equal application of the law when it pertains to uh, those on the the, uh, political left. Um, Peter Navarro, uh, White House trade advisor, was with the president in Lordstown yesterday. He's back in D.C. now, but he's got his eyes here on Ohio as Cleveland hosts the first debate tonight. Peter, thank you so much for your uh, great service to our president and to our country. We appreciate it, sir. All right. Let's have a great night for America tonight. This is what democracy is all about. Amen to that. All right, brother. 
Peter Kirsten, or Peter Kirsten, Peter Navarro. I got Peters all over the place. That's Peter Navarro, and I got Peter Kirsten now coming up in about 15 minutes at the top of the hour. But for now, we'll take a time out and get to you. I asked at the uh, outset of the show, and I'll ask it now because I got a segment coming. What one question would you like to ask Joe Biden? One question. I'm going to eliminate the Trump portion of this because he's answered everything there is to answer. Joe Biden is hidden. What one question, if you were Wallace, would you want to ask Joe Biden tonight? Dial now, 216-901-0945, and we'll ask him. Okay, 954. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer, Kirsten, now coming up after the top of the hour. He's got a lot of thoughts on a lot of things. Uh, I'm asking you. I'm going to ask him that question, too. What one question would you ask Joe Biden if you were moderating the debate tonight like Chris Wallace is? I'll be honest with you. A lot of people are saying Wallace is going to hammer Trump and he's going to softball Biden. Uh, two things. Number one, if he hammers one, he has to hammer the other because the same question is going to be asked uh, of each person. In other words, if he asks a hard question to Trump, then it's going to go to Biden. He's going to have his time for it, too, and then they can do rebuttals and blah, blah, blah. And if he softballs Biden, then he doggone well is going to have to softball the same thing, same question to Trump, except for the fact, of course, in the way that he phrases them. He could say, uh, President Trump, the New York Times just came out with a report saying you haven't paid any taxes and your manipulation of the tax code that led you to only pay $750 in taxes in some of the years that you did is blah, blah, criminal, blah, blah, blah. And then you go to Biden and say the same thing. Hey, how bad was President Trump's situation? Uh, here's your chance to rip him, too. So, yeah, there is. But, I'm, but I'll tell you this. Wallace seemed particularly perturbed that Biden wouldn't sit down with him on Fox News Sunday the way Trump did. He hasn't had a chance to grill Biden the way he grilled Trump in his interview. And he, he said he wanted to. Um, so I'm hoping that maybe Chris Wallace kind of uh, remembers that tonight. And I'm not convinced he won't. That he'll ask Biden questions that he would have asked him, tough questions that he would have asked him in an interview, but that Biden refused to sit down for. Now he's got them. So maybe, just maybe, it'll be a little bit better than we think. Brian is in Cleveland on AM 1420, The Answer. He's got a question for Joe Biden in the debate tonight. Hi, Brian. Go right ahead. Hey, Bob. Good morning. Um, I would ask Joe, I'd be like, hey, um, how can you trust your uh, vice presidential pick after the disparaging remarks that she made during the debate? I mean, she flatly came out and said that she trusted Tara Reid that Joe Biden's guilty of sexual assault. So how do you put faith in your second string? It'd almost be like a designated survivor scenario where the vice president doesn't end around and tries to invoke the 25th Amendment on you while you're in bed. So how do you trust her after that? And that is, yeah, that is that is not out of the question, the fact that she, or the idea that she would do something like that. Think about this. She, I mean, first of all, she ran for president, so she obviously has her eyes on the top prize. She did not like Joe Biden and actually disparaged him at the debate, then also said that, yes, she believes uh, Joe Biden's accuser, so that he's a sexual assaulter. So in different scenarios, she has made it very, very clear that she doesn't like Joe Biden and that she does want to be president. So you add all of those things up, Brian, and you're right. Uh, who's to say she isn't going to be working behind the scenes with other White House members to try to get him declared unfit because of perhaps his mental acuity and all of the things we've all seen about his you know attention span and his uh, ability to process things on the fly, et cetera, and to get him removed. Uh, it would not surprise me at all. Look, 
any, you know what the words naked ambition mean, right? Well, there's a double entendre when it comes to Kamala Harris. Her naked ambition has been on display for a very long time, and it started with her naked ambitions with Willie Brown, uh, uh, who was one of the biggest political power brokers in California, which is how she got her political start. That's awesome, Bob. You still there? Yes, thanks, I'm here. thanks. It just came to me. I appreciate it, Brian. Thanks. It just came to me. Look, she is, uh, and thanks for the call, buddy. She is truly about as, um, I don't know, ambitious as any number two. And I said this at the very start, as soon as Biden picked her. He didn't want to pick her, but he had no choice because his idiot self decided it's going to be a woman, and he made that public. Then with all of the Black Lives Matter and the Black Power Empowerment Movement this summer, he was demanded that he make it a black woman. And so now he's down to like two or three that could possibly choose. Stacey Abrams, who lost the governor's race in uh, in Georgia, or Kamala Harris, or there was like one or two others I can't even remember, but none of them were palatable. So he ends up picking somebody who said that he uh, was guilty of sexual assault, who said that he uh, was a racist and was pro-segregation. Pro she didn't say racist. She said pro-segregationist, going back to the busing situation during the debate. Um, and she dropped out of the presidential race even before uh, Jan- January. She didn't even get into the 2020 presidential season because she ended it in uh, early December, before Christmas. So you know that the Democrats don't like her. You know that Joe Biden doesn't like her, but Joe Biden had no choice but to pick somebody who was black and female because he pigeonholed himself. He painted himself into that corner. So I don't think there's any camaraderie or trust between those two people at all. And you better, I said this from the beginning, you better vet Kamala Harris like she is a presidential candidate, not a VP candidate. VPs, arguably no disrespect to Mike Pence, but don't matter. VPs don't matter, and they never move the needle, but they should in this case, because she wants to be the president, not after Joe Biden, but replacing Joe Biden. 10 o'clock, news time now, Kirsten now next, AM 1420, The Answer.